Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I am your host, Wilk of Wilksworld.com, and I am so incredibly grateful that you are taking the time to join me for another powerful DTH episode. Friends, at the D-Rate the Hate podcast, it's all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. See, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. That all starts with gratitude and personal accountability. We cannot control everything that happens to us in life, but we can control how we react to it. How we act, how we react, no matter what happens to us, how we react to it makes the difference. Friends, there is only one good thing about a bad attitude, and that is that we have the ability as individuals to change it. Here on the DTH Podcast, we strive to bring you great guests and provide tools to do just that. Please be sure to share it with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Ratings and feedback are always greatly appreciated. And with that, let's get to this week's episode. Friends, I know you've heard me talk about it before, but one of my great passions is the work that I do in the depolarization space, the work that I do with an incredible organization called Braver Angels. In addition, I am always thrilled when I get an opportunity to speak with others who are doing their part to better the world in which we live by trying to undo all the hate and anger and toxicity that are out there. Now with that said, have you ever asked yourself the question, are my political rivals, are those people I disagree with politically really as bad as I think they are? My guest this week, Daniel Stone, is a behavioral economist that has written a book on the topic, and he claims that people that we disagree with politically aren't as bad as we think they are. Therefore, we dislike them more than we should. Now, my new friend Dan Stone has been teaching in the economics department at Bowdoin College since 2012, and prior to that, he was an assistant professor at Oregon State University. Dan's research is on belief formation, political media, polarization, and interpersonal hostility, a.k.a. effective polarization. Dan's recently released book, Undo Hate, is a book that helps us understand the mistakes that we make about those on the other side of the political spectrum and how they drive the effective polarization that is tearing us apart. Friends, if depolarization of our polarized nation is something that you care deeply about, this is a conversation that you do not want to miss. With that, let's welcome my new friend, Daniel Stone, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. Here we go. Dan Stone, thank you very much for joining me on the D-Rate the Hate podcast, my friend. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it also. Yeah, you know, the uh, the article that you had written uh, a while back really jumped out to me, Dan, because it, it, it talks about so many of the things that I talk about. And I really loved it. It it started, uh, it just started me thinking about so many other different things, and and the way that the way that we approach uh, conversations, especially with those people that we disagree with, right? I mean, that's obviously a lot of the work that I do with Braver Angels is geared towards that. I know you mentioned them in the article. So, Dan, tell me, or let's start our conversation. Tell me about your article. The your political rivals aren't as bad as you think. Here's how uh, misunderstandings amplify hostility. Yeah, yeah. 
it's kind of a wordy headline. Uh, I didn't write it, but yeah. So yeah, thanks. Um, so the article honestly was uh, kind of intended to be a bit of uh, publicity or marketing for for this book <laughs> that I have coming out soon. Uh, that I uh, I hope you don't mind if I bring it up now, but um, oh, it's, please do, it, please do. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, I planned on talking about the book for sure. Yeah, yeah. So the article is sort of it's a bit of a, a preview of the book. Um, and uh, the article and the book are about how people that we disagree with politically, but people that we disagree with in general, but especially politically aren't aren't as bad as we think. And therefore, we tend to dislike them more than we should. And And I think, you know, saying that is it's not going to sound uh, earth shattering to a lot of people. I think a lot of people are going to say that that's kind of intuitive or common sense. But first of all, you know, most of us, when we actually do have negative feelings towards someone we disagree with, we don't think to ourselves those new negative feelings are misguided, right? When right, we right. dislike or hate someone, we we don't think it's obvious that we dislike them more than we should. We think that our dislike is completely justified. And, right, and the, right. Yeah. And the other thing is, even if you do think that it's kind of intuitive and sensible that we tend to overdo the dislike, I think most of us would struggle with explaining why that is exactly and how you can define, how would we ever know if we dislike someone more than we should? And so I try to explain that a bit in the article and the book. And the basic point is that our feelings toward other people are based on our beliefs about who they are as people, who their what their character traits are, which translate into the actions that they actually take and the opinions they hold. And so our feelings are driven in large part to a large extent by these beliefs about actual actions and opinions. And these beliefs can be right or wrong. And so if our beliefs about someone else's actions are, are essentially more pessimistic than they should be, we'll, we'll dislike those people more than we should. And right, makes sense. Yeah. And there's pretty good evidence that, especially when it comes to U.S. politics, because that's where there's a lot of data, people on both sides have overly negative beliefs about the other side, about their opinions and about their actions. And therefore, these misguided beliefs are are amplifying the hostility, are, are making us hate the other side more than we should objectively, or factually, if we actually understood who they were. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so much of... So much of the hate that we see today, and, and I'll mention your book right off the bat because I, I think it's going to be a fascinating book, Dan. I, I mean, I've, I've been following some of your work, and and it's incredible. So, so I love the title, Undo Hate. And so much of the hate that we see in this world today is undue, for sure. And, and I think it goes to the fact that you used a, a, a great phrase there and that it's mis, uh, misguided. You use the you use the phrase misguided, and that's so important because misguided is definitely what it is. I, I I attribute to most of it as ignorance. Right? People are very ignorant to the people that they hate. That ignorance causes the hate. They don't truly understand the people that they hate because they just don't know enough about them. They've got these preconceived notions of who that person is because of because of this this political belief and and you know my friend Monica Guzman that that I just did a, a speaking event with 
and she does you know so much work with with the organization braver angels that i had mentioned she says those who are underrepresented in your life will be overrepresented in your mind and when you think about that statement these people that we we truly have kind of pushed out of our lives we aren't having the conversations with them anymore we just now have decided who they are based on some preconceived label because of their political beliefs right so now all of a sudden we're building a we're building an identity in our mind for people we truly don't know or understand yeah yeah it's exactly it's ignorance but it, beyond ignorance so it's it's one thing to say i i'm i'm ignorant about another you know it's just to be ignorant and therefore to not to not know anything and and perhaps to not even have an opinion about something because because of one's ignorance uh but what's somewhat more puzzling is that this ignorance tends to predictably and systematically lead to to animosity intense so it's ignorance could easily lead to the mistaken positive feelings right like ignorance or it could just lead to no feelings at all but um to me as so I'm a behavioral economist I I'm interested in this question of why would we predictably make the same mistake of being too negative because ignorance alone doesn't explain that it, it's kind of like you know I might be ignorant about what's going to happen to the stock market in the next stock market in the next year that doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to be too pessimistic and going to underestimate how well it's going to be but when it comes to our feelings toward political rivals or anyone we disagree with I I argue that we the ignorance tends to lead to too much negativity and I I talk through a number of reasons it turns out well according to what I claim there's there there's there are a whole bunch of reasons for this and that's why it, it tends to be such a sort of regular and systematic pattern that's fascinating. I, I, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, that's why I love having these conversations, Dan. Is you make such a fascinating point. Why is it that the ignorance, when it comes to those that we disagree with politically, always or or more often than not, leads to this this hate and this anger, this animosity, that that venomous toxicity that we are seeing all the time. So, so yeah, that's a fascinating way to look at it, and I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. Yeah. All ignorance doesn't lead to to venom and toxicity the way political ignorance or or ignorance of our political rivals leads to that venomous toxicity. And I can talk through my my take on that a bit. If absolutely go, that's, yeah, 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 that's great. So, so a couple of so to start. First of all, I, I, there, there's a lot of psychological evidence that, that people are, are generally overconfident in, in their beliefs. We think that our, our beliefs are, are more accurate than they actually are. And we, there's a particular term called uh, naive realism, uh, which refers to people naively thinking that we see the world more, realistic, the, more realistically than we do, right? So in reality, we're all imperfect, flawed, you know, uh, organic matter uh you know we are you know we have some all kinds of crazy things going on inside us and you know i'm not going to get into uh the uh, the you know the mystery of consciousness and so on but we're all imperfect we can agree on that oh and, absolutely and, and and yet we 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 tend to think that this imperfect and skewed lens that we see the world through is more clear and more accurate than it actually is 
So when we see when we observe that other people see things different from us, when if I uh, have a have an opinion that 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 red is is better than blue and and you like blue better than red, um, I assume I'm right. You're wrong. I'm naturally going to assume. First of all, maybe you're just incompetent. So one one thing, one mistake I'm going to make based on my own overconfidence is overconfidence in you being wrong in your belief. So uh, if I'm overconfident that you're wrong, that's going to make me overconfident that you are, there's some reason for you being wrong, some bad character trait. So one might be incompetence, another might be stubbornness. So I might think, well, you should have learned by now that red is truly best. If you haven't picked up on that, you must be very close-minded. You must be uh, stubborn and refuse to, to listen to the evidence. And then another thing that I might, so those are two inferences that would make me dislike you too much, right? Because we dislike people that are incompetent. We dislike people that are stubborn and closed-minded. Another thing is, I might think that you actually know that red is best. You're claiming that blue is best, but you can't really believe it because I see the world correctly and objectively and red is best. And therefore everyone must know red is best. And if you, if you think blue is best, you're, you're actually probably just lying or being disingenuous. You're just being a liar. Yeah. You're, you're, just you're being arguing dishonest. in bad faith that, you know, that, that, that term that gets thrown right. around too much bad faith, meaning you don't really believe it. You're, you're, and if I think you're arguing in bad faith for something you don't really believe, I must think you have some sort of hidden ulterior and uh, unattractive motive. Like you personally benefit from the blue team. The blue team is paying you off or you have some some reason for, for arguing for blue that you don't want to really admit. And so these are three, uh, you know, three, three incorrect uh, inferences or false beliefs that might make me dislike you too much based on just having a disagreement on, on just about anything. My about anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Of course, there's a bunch more. I mean, a, a huge part of it is the information environment, right? So if, like you said, uh, we, we we just don't interact with, with people that we disagree with politically that much because... Yeah, people are staying, staying way inside their bubbles now. I mean, right, so right. often, more times, more, more now than any time I've seen in my lifetime, People just aren't having the conversations with people anymore. Right. You know, as right. soon as they as soon as they've decided this person belongs in that box with this label, now I'm not gonna I'm gonna steer clear of them. I, I don't wanna have anything to do with them. Why is that? Yeah. Yeah. So ex- exactly. Uh we we stay in our bubbles. The the term bubble is often used to refer to online behavior, right? The information that we get on the internet, but we're in these bubbles offline as well. Our neighborhoods are politically homogeneous and not very mixed. Um, our states, you know, our red states or blue states, but um, our cities, our counties. So our families, our social networks, we often have, you know, one or two family members that have different political views, but we don't talk to them about politics much. And sometimes we become estranged and don't talk at all. So in general, we talk to people that are politically like-minded um, much more often than we talk to people with different political views. And when we talk to people who are politically like-minded, it's fun to talk about how bad the other side is, right? It makes us feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel better about our teams. So, well, yeah, and it's what, it's like a bonding moment, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we don't bring up mistakes that our side made. We we bring up the latest atrocity that they did. And if we were completely rational and sophisticated about it, we might realize. Well, yeah, my my buddy, you know, who I'm at the bar with, who 
votes the same way as me is telling me about this latest terrible thing the other side did. But I should discount that because even if my side did a terrible thing, he would never bring it up. Um, if I was really wise, I would take it, you know, take that into account. But of course, humans don't think that way. We just think he's telling me about uh, the latest, you know, horrible sin that they committed. And therefore, we we take that as, you know, uh, more of the whole truth than we should. We we neglect the fact that we're just getting part of the story. For sure. And, and yeah. the part of the story that we tend to get tends to sort of demonize the other side. So certainly uh, not only online. I mean, I think it's more obvious and it's well known that we tend to get negative information about the other side online by because we we like to you know get our news from politically aligned media sources but even offline you know friends and family they're all bashing the other side and we don't think of course they're going to bash all discount it. we say yeah well gosh the other side keeps they, i just i just can't believe it they're even worse and worse than i thought every day right. so the ignorance leads to over excessive negativity that way sure does um, yep so talk to me dan about this uh, effective polarization bias. This is something you talk about. Obviously, you talk about it in the uh, in the book, but you brought it up the first time I'd really seen it. I think I kind of understand it, but the first time I had seen that phrase was in that article that you you wrote, and then I know you go deeper into it in the book. But talk to me about effective polarization bias. Yeah, uh, I... Um, I'm not surprised to hear that the first time you saw the phrase is in that article, because that's the first time the phrase has been in print. <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, wow. okay. yeah, I'm, I'm coining the I'm attempting to coin the phrase in the book. So in nice. the, the article is the first public uh, writing I've done about the book. So affective polarization is a term you, you probably are familiar with. And that's the term that refers to the polarization and feelings that Republicans and Democrats have experienced over so not just polarization of beliefs about policies and ideologies. It's not just that Democrats have moved left and Republicans have moved right. Affective polarization refers to Democrats and Republicans feeling increasingly negatively towards each other, and that's the growth and animosity and hate. So okay. the term affective polarization bias refers to my claim that we feel too much affective polarization, an irrational degree of it. So, again, you know, before before this, people, I think a lot of people would say affective polarization, negative feelings are, are bad and are inherently irrational to some extent. But not everyone can like everyone equally. And it's not necessarily wrong <laughs> to dislike some people more than others. Right. And so distinguishing it's, it's, between it's human nature. I mean, we're, yeah. we're never going to get away from that. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just part of yeah. being a human being. Right. So there's this question of like when is affective polarization wrong and irrational and excessive? Right? When is it reasonable and justified and when is it too much? And so affective polarization bias refers to too much, irrational degree of feeling more affective polarization than we should. Right. So so yeah, I, I mean and that makes perfect sense. I I think that's I think that's a, a fascinating way to look at it because I do think much of the the hatred that we see for people on opposing sides of the, of the political spectrum right now, most of it is is very irrational. You know, there's been several recent studies that have come out that said people 
on both sides of the the spectrum or or on all you know all along the spectrum you know really probably agree on maybe as much as 70 80% of the things that they they want to see in this world in their personal lives you know things like that and and the the studies range you know how they how they've been phrased and how they've been uh how they've been conducted and things like that but the reality is Dan most of us as human beings, especially in the United States of America, have certain expectations, certain things that we want for ourselves personally, for our families, whether whether it be work related or home related or food, all the, all the basic things in life, right? Most of these things, and even most of the things that we want to see out of our, uh, whether it's a bit, whether it's the businesses that we frequent or the government that that is supposed to serve us. Uh, or or whatever it is, most of those things we have in common. We may have very different ideas of how to get there, but most of the stuff that we really want as human beings, as Americans, are very similar. So it's just those few things that that really get people triggered, right? Get people wired up, get get people wound up, I should say, and and, and then that's when that anger starts to come. Uh, come about and then that you know so the irrationality that comes along with it i'm one that that often talks about and and sometimes people mistake me for being somebody who says we've got to be emotionless i'm not that person but i'm often one i i often speak about the fact that we should never allow our emotions to dictate our actions and and oftentimes you talk about the irrationality of it that's how we become irrational right we allow our emotions to dictate our actions and when it comes to the political beliefs and, and the things that we're seeing in the the political realm of our lives we're starting to see people allow those emotions to take over and rationality gets pitched in the back seat that's where you come up with the that irrational behavior right yeah yeah um yeah there's kind of a, a feedback loop between False beliefs. So that's what I focus on. This idea that we have overly pessimistic beliefs about the other side's character, and that makes us dislike, hate, be angry toward them more than we should. And uh, then that anger and hate will lead us to to do dumb things, right? Um, take irrational actions. And then, of course, that can lead them to dislike us more than they should. <laughs> um, right. And uh, like you said, you know, a big part of my, as an academic, I have to kind of look for data and try to to make a as strong an argument as I can for this claim that there's excessive dislike. And one of the big arguments or sources of data is something you referred to just now about how we tend to underestimate how much we have in common how we 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 tend to think that we disagree on politics more than we we actually do mm -hmm. um so if i think you know if if i'm a red and you're a blue and i think that there's essentially no overlap in, in what we think the government should be doing and what we think america should be doing but there's actually 90 percent overlap then uh my my false beliefs about how different you are for me are probably going to make me again dislike you. 
since I tend to think that my beliefs are good ones, if I think you have very different beliefs, I'm going to think you must have some bad traits that caused you to have those different beliefs. And if your beliefs are not that different, then I'm going to be be wrong in my beliefs about those traits. I just want to mention one other thing here. I mean, a, a chapter from the book that I, I didn't write, but I kind of wanted to write and you didn't make it was something on, on human nature and, and evidence of, of things that pretty much all people have in common. Mm-hmm. And I think there is pretty good evidence that, you know, it's, it's a large majority of people are, are pretty decent in most ways. A large majority of people, you know, care about basic fairness and have a, a basic degree of empathy for other people. And like you said, take care of their families, want to lead, want to be good. You know, we all want right. to be good. We just yeah. try to do it in different ways. And uh, the fact that a large majority of people have these basically good characteristics means that if 50% of people disagree with us on politics, they can't be bad just because of the disagreement. Because 50% of people, uh, we know not if 90% of people are decent, that, that necessarily implies that any 50% chunk of the population must include mostly decent people, right? Right. Right. I, I mean, yeah, and it kind of goes back to what you said a little bit ago, Dan, is is we, we tend to overestimate people's poor judgment and bad motives, right? <laughs> when we look at, at, at something and, and we say, you know, that person, they can't just be wrong. <laughs> they've, got, they've got to be somehow evil because it, it's people and and this is what i attribute it to and you can tell me what you think of this dan but one of the things that i've been thinking a lot about lately is how in recent years people have started tying their political beliefs somehow to their their core central identity i, I mean i i think one of the biggest problems we face as human beings is is too many people tie whether it's their what they're racialized as or what their sexuality is or what their sexual preference is all all those things they tie to their 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 core central identity right i, I mean i've got people i've got friends from all over the planet that that identify as all sorts of different things and and really it makes no difference to me uh vast majority of that stuff because that's not their core identity their core identity is a human being and i believe they have good values and therefore we are friends. When people start to tie, you know, abstract things, or I don't know if abstract's the right word, but but things like their political beliefs to their core central identity. And now all of a sudden, you know, just like my friend Julian Adorni had, had recently said in a conversation that him and I had, when they tie or when they when somebody then speaks out against your political beliefs. Well, now you take it as a personal attack and therefore going back to the feedback loop you were talking about dan then all of a sudden that builds more hate and anger that hate and anger is that emotion now that emotion causes us to make bad decisions or or take bad actions most of it's in writing or or maybe verbalized but it is it just turns into you know once somebody attacks your identity oh you know gets at your identity now you've got a reason to be mad, right? Now you've got reason to be angry. And then there that loop starts. Yeah, and that's undoubtedly, I think, a big part of the story. But it's 
an aspect that I don't that I haven't worked on as much and I haven't written on as much because I think others have written more on this and it's 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 more understood and established. Uh, but exactly what you say is 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 indeed pretty well established, which is that people have uh, grown to think of their political views as part of themselves, as part of their identity, and it's become more aligned with other aspects of identity. And and that's led us to be more uh, belligerent and to be more aggressive about political fights. We take them more seriously. We fight hard. But that's that's not what my work is about. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to add more to the story. And, and part of my motivation here is that something we haven't talked about yet is that I, but it, it's, it's quite relevant to Braver Angels, someone involved with Braver Angels, which is that I, I, I talk a lot about how political conflict is similar to all sorts of interpersonal conflict, like conflict between spouses. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I know Braver Angels has a philosophy of using sort of approaches to marriage counseling. And yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Bill Doherty, uh, one of the one of the, the the people who have who've done so much with Braver Angels approaches that with a, a marriage counseling style. Right. Because uh, right. yeah. I know, and and that's one of the things that I wanted to get into with you, Dan, is you have a you have have this this you know the style you talked about in the article. You talked about Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, you know, drawing a bit of ire because from both sides because she talks about a national divorce. You know, I, I think you and I can agree that would be a very bad idea. So talk to me about that, Dan. Where, yeah, where... yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I'm not a political scientist. And uh, I my intuition also is that that's a very bad idea. But that's that's not my expertise in my training. My um, So I've, it's not what I'm most comfortable talking about. I'm most comfortable talking about trying to understand what people believe and, and to what extent those beliefs are accurate or inaccurate. So I mentioned this comparison between um, political disputes and, say, spousal disputes, because it shows how political conflict is is not all about identity, because the conflicts that we have with, with spouses uh, are, are not driven by, well, they're not driven by those aspects of identity you just mentioned, like race and sexuality. Um, because at least in general, uh, or you know, more often than not, spouses share the same race, right? And and you know, if we're talking about a heterosexual couple, they're both heterosexual, right? So when so people talk about race being a you know a big component of American political issues, and I, I'm not denying that, but my point is that uh even spouses and brothers and partners and uh work colleagues who are who share all sorts of social identities and demographic identities um often have conflicts which spiral out of control um and i i have to admit i my theories and and work on this issue have been uh, inspired in part from my personal experience with my spouse so our personalities uh are kind of different in a lot of i mean she's she would happily admit to being almost uh the polar opposite of an economist. She's she's someone who's much more emotional and just sure. kind of fall. She was an English major and uh, you know more impulsive and just and so on. And so we disagree on things. And I will see her get heated up very quickly. 
you know, really simple things like, you know, what, what are we going to make for dinner or what's going on with the dishes? And of course, that's like a classic cliche spouse thing to fight about. But I'll see, you know, I, I'll say we should make spaghetti for dinner and she doesn't want spaghetti. And instead of thinking it's just a difference in opinions, she will, again, you know, think that I have some sort of bad motive, right? Ulterior motive. Yeah, yeah. Like, Why does uh, he want spaghetti again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a laziness or selfishness and unwillingness to, like, you know, make something that's healthy enough for kids. or And, um, you know, of course, my side of the story is that there are good reasons to make this be. Um, so the point is, we have these differences in opinions which spiral into what I think are overly negative character beliefs separate from I I don't think that she's attacking my identity I don't think she thinks I'm attacking her identity when I suggest spaghetti so identity is a big part of the story but my work is about reasons that we have conflict that go beyond identity because people who have very similar social identities belong to similar social groups can also easily you know a simple difference in opinion can spiral out of control can cause people to misunderstand each other and absolutely to, can yeah uh, yeah i mean honestly i also have had a, a a rough experience with a work colleague who uh you know i i don't want to go too into it here but it's you oh, know it's i think we're both extremely like reasonable people we have very similar uh you know demographic identities and so on we were very friendly, you know, when work started. And there was a simple work issue. It was like a hiring question. And this person, I thought I was being extremely helpful and being very involved and proactive and so on. And I guess they didn't like how proactive I was being. And I got some real negative vibes. And, you know, eventually I backed off, but I I still don't know what exactly they were thinking. I, I, at times I did say, let's talk it through. And they, they said things like, no, I just, I don't want to talk about it. And, and so my take on it at this point is that neither of us fully understands the other's opinion. Right. And right. I, yeah. Yeah. And that's um, where, that's where things yeah. go sideways. I mean, you know, when the conversation breaks down, I mean, that's a big thing we talk about at Braver Angels is again, I'll go back to the conversation uh, or, or the event that, that Monica Guzman and I just recently did, you know, talking about how important the conversation is, how to have those curious conversations, and how important that is to bridging the divide. I don't care if it's a polar or, you know, if it's a, if it's a political divide or if it's a, you know, if it's a difference you you and, and, the, and the wife are having for, you know, what you guys are going to have for dinner or where you're going to go on vacation or whatever the, whatever the thing is, is Almost any conflict, almost any divide can be bridged with a good conversation. The risk we run is when one side or the other, or sometimes both, decides to quit talking, decides to quit having those conversations, because then things then things just, just get nowhere. Yeah. And, and often, it's not that they get nowhere. Sometimes, sometimes it would be fine if they get nowhere. Sometimes they go south in a hurry. Right. And the fact that conversation and improved communication improves relations and feelings much more often than not implies that negative feelings are driven by ignorance and and overly negative uh opinions right false right. You know, keep right. going back to these terms right but overly negative beliefs 
So communication in general helps us to understand what uh, what what who what the other side is thinking and why they did what they did, right? Right. Right. And so often, you know, we we think that they did an awful thing, but we just don't know the whole story. And a little right. bit of conversation, communication, uh, will help us see they have reasons for doing what they did, and what seems so awful is actually much more understandable. Sure, and, and you make such a great point there, Dan, because you know you say we keep on going back to the same things over and over, but that's that's the key for me, and that's what makes me think that there's real hope, is because. This thing between people of differing mindsets, it's not rocket science. It's not trying to figure out the mathematical equation to get a rocket to orbit the moon. I mean, humans are complex people, but trying to get past that emotional wall to where we can have a good or or curious conversation with a person of differing mindsets, it's not rocket science. It it shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah. There are there are bad actors out there that try to either make it seem difficult or try to exacerbate the hate, you know, try to, to, you know, use, I call it, you know, fog, fear, outrage, and grievance. They, they try to, you know, in, incite and keep that wall of, of, of toxicity in between people. So, so Dan, we're getting close to the end of our time, but I do want to talk about, again, your, your book, undo hate, I know it's coming out here real soon. It's probably going to be out by the time that this episode airs. But talk about the book's title. The book's title is Undo Hate, right? U-N-D-U-E, Undo Hate. So how do we, tell me a little bit about the book and tell me how do we undo the undo hate? Right, right. Yeah, it's a little bit of a play on words. It was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah, if anybody else has done that, but yeah, I figured good, I'd picking up. Yeah, that didn't even occur to me at first. It had to be pointed out. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, so how do we how do we undo it? Uh, that's the huge question that we're all struggling with. But um, I think something we can certainly all do is 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 try to be more open minded and try to have more contact in conversation with with those who. Uh, who, who feel differently about things and try to reserve judgment and not jump to negative conclusions as much and just sort of spread the gospel about that sort of mindset and attitude. Uh, in the book, I do talk a little bit about pushing our, our very top political leaders to take action. I, I think these types of conversations are, are awesome and the more we can do the better and to, you know, take the sort of grassroots approach is absolutely admirable and um, worth pursuing, but it's not going to lead to, you know, it, it it's going to be a slow going, right? It's not going to uh, lead to major changes in the sh- in a very short period of time, and it is kind of scary uh, how how serious a lot of these issues are now, and um, so I. Personally, I'm not any anything like an activist, but I don't know why people aren't pushing our very top leaders to talk about this more like Senate Majority Leader, President. Given that polarization is arguably the number one problem that our country faces, why isn't Biden, you know, why isn't that on his list of uh, agenda items? Why isn't that on the platform, you know, fighting polarization? Why isn't the 
and you might say it's impossible, but nothing's impossible, right? Why isn't the federal right. government investing in an anti-polarization Manhattan project? Like a right. lot of, why aren't we coming up with clever ways? But um, that I realize that this is something that's probably not super realistic and it makes me sound maybe naive to even suggest it, but there are some more, you know, uh, interesting ideas people are throwing around. I, I like the idea of a national service program, not necessarily military service, but it could be public service, community service that everyone's sure. required to do for a year after you turn 18. And, and, and this would bring people together from different parts of the country, from different, you know, income, socioeconomic groups, different racial groups, and just get people to to mix up a bit more and maybe inspire, make national identity a stronger part of our identity uh, because sharing the American identity is is one way to overcome this sort of this this possible this national divorce stuff and right we have red versus blue within the country. You know, I I, t- I think social media could be doing more, should be doing more, of course, but that's not best for their profits in the short run. I think they need to take a really far-sighted, you know, uh, forward-looking view to realize that if the country falls apart, that's not going to be good for Facebook's profits in 50 years. We need Facebook to lead the fight against polarization. Right. It's it's not a model that's going to last, right? So, you know, that's yeah. why I love that's why I love you know doing what I do with the D-Rate the Hate podcast, Dan, and the, all the work that I do with Braver Angels. It's not nearly as, I guess, sexy in the internet ecosystem. You know, the civility does not does not match up in the in the algorithms the way that toxicity does. Unfortunately, you know, I, I've I've said that uh, toxicity makes it halfway around the world before civility gets its first like and share. I think that's very unfortunate. But you know what, guys like you and I, Dan, we just got to keep on doing what you're doing or doing what we're doing. Uh, get people to get involved with braver angels or buy the book undo hate that's that's a that's a great step that people can yeah. do you know because well, there, there's great let me interrupt you there I, let me just say i don't intend to make us a, a penny a profit off of the book sales i i plan to donate any money i make from sales to anti-polarization organizations so my motivation wasn't for writing it wasn't profit as much as the, the main goal was to get these ideas in one place. And when you write a book on something, people, you know, you get more credibility. So mm-hmm, I wanted to mm-hmm. put together some, some careful evidence data-based arguments for this idea that our dislike is actually excessive and irrational, mm-hmm. but I'm not doing it to profit. So there, I think there will be a free online version at some, some point, maybe, a, a, maybe right away. The publisher has been a little unclear on that. But um, I I asked up front that it'd be pretty cheap so people can afford it without some academic books have crazy prices. And uh, if I get paid any royalties, they're going to go to Braver Angels and other organizations. Um, So just to clarify that. That's a beautiful Um, thing to hear, man. I mean, that's that's a true patriotic move right there. Yeah, uh, thanks. That's a good thing. You know, to be honest, it's probably not going to be millions of dollars, but it's uh, honestly, I just want to. Like, it's like, I think we, this stuff can spread. I think people, ignorance, you know, can be overcome. It, it, it's just slow going. But if we, if we had some, uh, some real, you know, with, with people stepping up with leadership, it could happen, could happen yeah. faster. Well, that's, 
and that's what it takes. It it takes the people that have those big microphones and and the big followings to stand up and say enough is enough. It's time we all, you know, going back to that old cliche thing, you know, can't we all just get along? I mean, I I get it. It would be an awful lot easier if people with those those big platforms and those big microphones. A little bit, a little bit. Are you aware of Spencer Cox's work? Spencer Cox is is yeah. yeah, I believe I believe Spencer Cox. In fact, I'm almost certain Spencer Cox is going to be at the. Braver Angels Convention in July mm-hmm. in, in yeah. Pennsylvania, where okay. I will also be uh, and and speaking with my friend Dr. Francis Collins. Okay, but, great. Uh, just a little plug there, but, uh, but yeah, the the Braver Angels Convention in July in, in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, is going to be incredible. And Spencer Cox is definitely one that's doing good work. Not all politicians are out there to spread the neg- negativity. There are some that are out there wanting to to actually bridge the divide and and work across the aisle and i think it's important to highlight those voices too so yeah yeah we gotta make it pay off for them <laughs> yeah well dan i greatly appreciate the conversation i know there's so much more we could talk about and i definitely want to do more speaking with you in the future it's yeah, it great good. talking to you and uh admire and applaud and uh your work and and keep it going just keep fighting the good fight Friends, if there's anything in this episode that provided exceptional value to you, please make sure to hit that share button. Share it with your friends, share it far and wide. And of course, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe right from our website so you can get the Derate the Hate podcast sent to your email inbox every week. So this is Wilk wrapping up for the week saying get out there, be kind to one another, be grateful for everything that you've got, and remember it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. If there is something that you would like to share with me, you can catch me on most social media platforms or you can email me directly, wilk at wilksworld.com. With that, my friends, I am going to back on out of here and we will catch you next week. Take care.